as a constitutional law attorney, former senior legal advisor and personal counsel to President Donald J. Trump. Jenna Ellis believes in the rule of law and the importance of integrity in our elections. And she's ready to tackle the big cultural and legal issues facing America. This is the Jenna Ellis Show. Here is your host, Jenna Ellis. Welcome to the Jenna Ellis Show. I'm Jenna Ellis, and I am so excited about the podcast today because I was in Miami at the Trump Doral this weekend for Amp Fest, which, of course, is a gathering of great conservatives, uh, liberty-loving Americans. And, you know, these conferences, these are things that the Democrat left um, has been trying to shut down for the last 18 months. They don't like us to gather and see that there are so many of us. I mean, look at how many people were at Trump's Iowa rally this past weekend. The more that Democrats try to say, that, oh, President Trump is losing his influence. Well, the more people uh, just start coming and showing up to his rally. So I had the opportunity to interview um, my good friend, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. Um, that is coming up as well as Corey DeAngelis talking about school choice. And uh, so this is going to be absolutely fantastic. I'm so glad you're part of this conversation. And before we get to Marjorie, I want to talk to you about my friends at Legacy Precious Metals. They're a company that you can trust to give you good, patient counsel for your personal situation, because uh, when the times are turbulent, you really need an asset that protects you. Now is the time for Americans to take steps to protect our finances and retirements. That's why I believe investing in gold, and I trust my friends at Legacy Precious Metals. Their team of experts has decades of experience helping Americans like you and me make the right decision for ourselves and our family. Call Legacy Precious Metals today at 866-528-1903. That's 866-528-1903. Or visit them online at LegacyPMInvestments.com and download their free investor's guide. And joining me now from AmpFest, in case you uh, are hearing some of the background noise, we're in the VIP room at the Trump Doral Hotel in Miami. And uh, it is my very dear friend and one of President Trump's most ardent supporters and America First champion, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, who I just adore. And um, she's joining me today on the podcast. So much to talk about. So we'll have to do this again, Marjorie, um, and just anything that you want to talk about. So what is on your mind? Well, Jen, I have to tell you, I'm really mad at Mitch McConnell from, for his failure yesterday. It, it, you know, it's it's not just one failure, but it's like a whole career of failures to Republican voters. I mean, Republicans um, like Mitch McConnell and the rhinos in the swamp have been failing their voters for decades now. And Jenna, to me, this is why we are where we are. Um, here's what we have to do. We have to make an effort starting now the Republican voters, Republican donors, uh, America First Patriots all over the country have got to change the GOP. We have to take it back. We have to tell the consultants, we have to tell the, the D.C. elite class that we aren't going to put up with their plans, um, their agenda anymore, and this, this party is ours. Yes. And we're going to make it work for the American people. Yes. And that's what I'm thinking about. And I love that. And I love your series of tweets uh, between yesterday and today. Um, they were just so on target. I mean, and you were the, one of the few people in D.C. who's actually willing to call out the Republican Party without calling it infighting. And um, as you know, I mean, I left the Republican Party in the sense that the RNC and Ronna McDaniel and Mitch McConnell and all of these 
swampy elitist hacks mm -hmm. have taken over our party. And mm -hmm. I will gladly join the Republican Party again when it comes back to true conservatives. And so when you are the head of the of the Republican Party, I will be glad to join again. So, um, so how are you fighting against uh, Mitch McConnell, the swamp, and, and all of this? I know President Trump just put out a statement saying Republicans need to grow a spine with this whole um, infrastructure plan. And I mean, this is just ridiculous. And Republicans always say, oh, this is a win if we don't give the Democrats everything that they want. If we only give them, you know, maybe nine-tenths, then that's a win. But that's ridiculous. Right. Well, Jenna, first up, I admire you for leaving the Republican Party. It needed to be done. There's more people that need to be brave enough to say that because when Republican donors and Republican voters stand up and use their voice and say the same things you're saying, and they tell them, no, I'm not giving you money. No, I'm not giving you my vote until you work for me. Then we will have a party together and we'll move forward. And, and I believe that's the way to change it. See, yes. it's, it's not me. I'm literally just one member of Congress. And the only thing that I can do to serve my district and serve the American people is to say how people really feel. But I alone cannot fix it. it is, it's honestly, this government is set up for the people, by the people. And when the people remember that and they take it back, that's how the government and that's how the Republican Party can work for them. And I, so in saying that, my true belief is I believe in the people far more than I believe in myself or my position. And I want the people to remember who they are and remember to how to hold not only the Republican Party accountable, but the federal government accountable. And then we will save our country. And that's exactly the statesman attitude that uh, we need from all of the members of Congress. And we need that from the Republican Party. Instead of going to D.C. to lobby for their own interests, have, you know, make the millions of dollars in D.C. instead of, you know, having an actual marketable skill set in the private sector. So um, you are making a difference, though, so much because people are seeing just like why President Trump is so wildly popular. I really think that you are so wildly popular because you are speaking what the people feel. And there are very few members of Congress that are actually willing to do that and to suffer all of the attacks from the left that you have endured. Yeah. So um, so what are you working on right now in uh, in Congress and in combating, you know, the swamp that is the most important for you to talk about? Okay. Today? So unfortunately, you know, I, I have a leadership pack and unfortunately that money should be spent against Democrats. But right now I'm spending it against Republicans. Wow. I'm spending it, spending it against my own colleagues in the House of Representatives and the GOP conference that are willing to vote for the infrastructure deal. It is unreal to me. We had 19 traders, Republican senators, that made that infrastructure bill possible. They passed it in the Senate. They sent it to the House. And now this is a bill that we're actually having to look at and talk about voting for. Nancy Pelosi is doing everything she can, working with the progressives, negotiating with Biden, negotiating with uh, Manchin and Cinema. Manchin and Cinema, they're not the good guys. There's a lot of Republicans that are thinking they are. They're not. They're Democrats. At the end of the day, they're Democrats, and they work for Joe Biden, and they work for Democrat donors and voters. Manchin and Cinema are only upset about the price tag of the budget. They're going to bring that price tag down, but it doesn't mean any of the bad things are leaving. So what we are working on right now is we are gearing up and getting ready for a fight again against infrastructure and budget. It's coming back. It'll be a matter of weeks, and that is what we'll be working against. Um, so here's what we have to do. We have to stop the Republicans, Republican members of Congress that are saying they're going to vote for that infrastructure bill. 
we should be solid. We should be one vote as a GOP conference. Solid no. There should not be one Republican member of Congress voting for infrastructure. Unfortunately, we have 10, possibly maybe 15, could be as high as 50, someone told me, that would be willing to vote for that infrastructure bill if they could get, get by with it. Wow. But So here's why I say the people are so important. The people can stop it. The people, if they honestly were to get engaged and call, I mean call every day, Pour in with nothing but phone calls, emails, attacking on social media against Republican members of Congress that are yes votes on the infrastructure. That's how it can be stopped. They, these Republican members of Congress need to understand that we don't care about their one little earmark in that bill or their one little project they might be getting for their district because the rest of it is socialism. If, if they can be shamed, you know, publicly shamed and attacked by their own constituents and saying, do not do this. Don't throw our country under the bus like this just for a paved road or a bridge repair. It's not worth it. We, we, we are willing to wait. We're willing to wait until we have a Republican majority where we can have a good infrastructure bill mm -hmm. that's actually infrastructure and not socialism. <laughs> right. uh, that's, that's how we need to fight. Yeah, this reminds me of you know the biblical story of Jacob and Esau where it's like you're selling your birthright for the bowl of beans. I mean, that literally is what it sounds like because those little projects can be done in all kinds of different ways. It doesn't have to be part oh of this you know pork of, of this whole entire thing. So yep. for the, the people who are listening to this podcast and the people who have these conversations want to be engaged. Mm -hmm. What is the best way that they can engage on social media on? I know that you uh, tweeted out uh, um, Mitch McConnell's whole phone line and actually, you know, he stopped answering. <laughs> he turned his voicemail off, which is great. So for people who want to call, send emails, social media, what is the best way that they can actually engage and do exactly what you're saying? Okay. It's really simple. You just go on your website or go on the computer, look up the congressional hotline. There's a phone number. All you have to do is call that phone number and you can request any member of Congress. You can request their office. You can request mine. You can request AOC's. You can request Nancy Pelosi's. You can request um, Kevin McCarthy's. Anybody. You can talk to anybody and you request their office. You call their office and you say, do not vote for the infrastructure bill. We are. This is who I am. This is where I live. I own this business. I work this job. I'm a taxpayer. Do not vote for this infrastructure bill. And what you do is you work through the entire Republican list, members of Congress. You do, uh, so let's say you take on 10 to 15 members of Congress every day. And then as soon as you finish, turn around and repeat it. You know what? We've got the phone number here for you. It's 202-225-3121. Again, it's 202-225-3121. That's the hotline. You call You call it and request the member of Congress that you want to talk to. Tell them to vote no. Tell them thank you or tell them you can't stand what they're doing, whatever you need to say. But you're the taxpayer and the federal government works for you. You can call your representative and you can call any representative because their vote impacts your life no matter where they're from, where they live and where you live. Honestly, what they do is affecting your whole life. Tell them to vote no. So for these um, maybe 10 or 15 Republicans, are there a few people that um, you want to mention that people should call and specifically say, you know, hey, you're going to be impacting my life even though I'm not in your district? You know, if they are just overwhelmed with phone calls, is there anybody specific? 
Well, there there are some specific uh, yes votes. I think John Katko, uh, now remember, he voted to impeach President Trump. He also <laughs> voted to kick me off committees. And this guy's supposedly a Republican, so you should call him a lot anyways and talk to him about all kinds of things. <laughs> Um, Jamie Herrera Butler, that would be another one I would call. Um, call Liz Cheney. Mm. She needs to hear from Republicans all over the country. She seems to be having a problem remembering what being a Republican is all about. So, yeah, let her know and tell her to get off the January 6th committee. Um, Adam Kinzinger, let's see, Brian Fitzpatrick. Uh, look up look up several lists. Here's a few more names. Um, Don Bacon from Nebraska. Fred Upton from Michigan. I told you guys, Adam Kinzinger, Nicole Maliotakis, you know, she's from New York. She ran a strong pro-Trump campaign, but somehow she's forgotten who President Trump is. We need a reminder. Uh, Here's another one. We're in Miami right now. This is her district. Uh, Maria Salazar. Yeah, what's the deal with her? She's Miss Pro-Cuba, Pro-America, America First, and for some reason, she wants to vote for the Democrat Joe Biden uh, infrastructure bill. And I also told you guys, Jamie Herrera Butler, they need to hear from you guys. Um, and, I, and I also told you about Brian Fitzpatrick. So let them know. Give them a call and tell them that our Republicans won't be supporting them if they want to vote for Joe Biden's socialist infrastructure bill. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we need to, as the American people, and especially in these districts, we need to be uh, primarying people. I'm so glad to see that there are some great America First candidates that are running for Congress um, and that are going to primary people like Liz Cheney. And, you know, some of these that you mentioned, they've kind of flown under the radar a little bit because maybe they don't do as many national media hits or just for whatever reason, they're kind of getting away with um, being Republicans in name only and not truly being accountable. So I'm glad that you're mentioning some of these names that probably the average person isn't that familiar with. And so that's why it's so important to know what the vote is across the board. And the votes, um, you know, anyone who is paying attention to Congress, you can go in and all of the votes are public. You can see exactly what's coming up on the calendar. We need to be participatory and informed citizens. And I think it does matter, right, when people call. And if um, you as a congresswoman get a lot of phone calls from people, even outside your district. I mean, that matters, right? It matters, and I do. I get phone good. calls from Antifa every single day. <laughs> well, not good for that one. And but. BLM and, <laughs> and all the people that don't understand that there's only male and female. Those are the only two genders. Those people love to call my office. Twitter's going to flag you right now as this may be a difficult conversation. <laughs> it's we hard. have the snowflake tags now on Twitter, but, you know, I'm glad you're still speaking truth. Yeah. It's the tr- it's science. There's only two sets of chromosomes. So I just keep trying to stay with science, just like them. Yes. So so with the infrastructure bill, um, when do you anticipate that this is going to be called in the House? How long do we have? And what's, I mean, obviously a no vote would be um, a huge win. And it's just incredibly shameful that Mitch McConnell is even uh, just bending over to all of this. And I think you're right. And you tweeted he needs to not be leader yeah. in uh, 2023. Do you think that's possible as well? So I guess the two questions. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think Mitch McConnell is done. Wow. I think he sealed his fate. But we have to continue to make it true, right? Right. We have to continue to hammer Mitch McConnell. We have to continue to hammer that he should not be the leader in the Senate. And we need to make it apparent to all of his uh, colleagues, Republican senators, Mm -hmm. that they need to understand Mitch McConnell is not their leader. He is selling them out. And he's they're losing support because of Mitch McConnell. As long as we continue to let them know then Mitch McConnell won't be the leader. That's why I tweeted that this morning. 
Uh, as far as infrastructure and budget, well, thanks to Mitch McConnell, he just bought them a whole bunch of time, right? Yeah. The Democrats now get to sit back, kick their feet up, and, and really discuss the details on how to make Mansion and Cinema happy, bringing that budget down to around two trillion. They have to cut out about a trillion dollars to get there. They have to bring it way down to two trillion. But here's what they're doing. So Joe Biden had a meeting with the progressives. Interestingly, he hmm. left out Ilhan Omar. Oh wow! So the squad member is that is one. Out? Though. Interesting. That one. She was the only one that really wasn't invited. Huh? What well, was the reason for that? Because she's so against Israel. Wow. So Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi and these Democrats are losing their Jewish donors and support. They're very upset because mm-hmm. Ilhan Omar is so radical and so against Israel. So Joe Biden left her out of that meeting. He met with the rest of the progressives and said, ladies, here's what we have to do. And that includes men, too, but they don't believe in gender, so it's okay. Yeah, so they're we all, can say that. They can yeah, be gender fluid. They're all, yeah. they're all ladies. So, so, so anyways, Joe Biden meets with them, and he's like, ladies, we have to bring the budget down to $2 trillion. We have two paths to get there. We can take out some of these programs that you're asking for, or we can keep them all in there, and the sunset clause has to move back. Now, that's the route they're probably going to take, right? Mm-hmm. Because every time a government program is created, it never ends, Jenna. You know how, they, mm-hmm. how they'll continue it? You, you know of how it course. works. Of course, yeah. You're that's so good in, at this. In Colorado, that's the same thing with our ridiculous star chamber of the civil rights uh, committee that's there. And how you know, even through Sunset, they just the Republicans caved on that one, and they just continue to fund it. It never goes away. They never go away. So what yes. they do is they'll start the program. They'll just take the, say if it was supposed to be funded until 2028, they'll dial it back to 2025. That'll bring the price tag down on the budget. Mm. And then what they'll make Congress do is they'll just bring it up again and we have to vote for it again. Yeah. And so that is, that's the way they'll start it. But here's the problem. It's not just Congress. So they'll start a, a new program like free daycare, free college, free everything. And then they'll, they'll push it with their strong hard left packs and organizations to the people. So a couple of years from now, when the vote comes back up, there'll be the public mm. crying, crying for continue our free child care, mm. crying, continue our free college or free this, free that. And Congress will cave and they'll, they'll vote for it again. And that's how they'll keep it going. So Joe Biden is going to work them down to $2 trillion by moving back the sunset clauses. That'll make the progressives happy. The progressives will agree, yes, we'll vote for the infrastructure, and then some really sorry rhinos in Congress will help pass it by voting yes to the infrastructure. This is why I'm fighting my own party. Mm-hmm. Republicans have to stop helping Democrats because they're destroying our country. Absolutely. And we need to help you fight the rhinos. And so we love you, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. And I can't wait to have you back on the podcast to talk about it even more because this is such great insight about how it actually works and why, you know, when you say something like Mitch McConnell is selling out Republicans, what does that actually mean and to unpack that? And so thank you so much for your time today. And I look forward to having you on hopefully really um, in the near future and have to do this more regularly because you are fighting in Congress. And I hope that people who are listening to this, along with calling all of uh, the Congress members that uh, Congresswoman Green mentioned, please call her as well and just say thank you. Um, call her and say thank you for fighting and encourage her because for every you know call from uh, Antifa and BLM, she should be getting a hundred more from yeah. patriots who we love, love and that. support her. <laughs> yeah. And so I think, you know, it's, it's almost like um, in, in guest relations, wherever you 
only hear the complaints. You don't hear the thank yous. So on behalf of everyone who's listening to this, thank you so much for the work you're doing. We are pulling for you. I will help you in any way and look forward to having you again soon. Thank you, Jenna. Thank you. It is time for holiday cleaning. Before you replace your carpets due to pet stains and odors, you must try Genesis 950. Their reviews are amazing as this is one product that works. With water, it breaks down the bonds of stains and odors so they are gone for good. Its antibacterial component removes pet odors from carpet and padding, and it can be used in a carpet cleaning machine. It's green, so it's safe for your family and your pets. Genesis 950 is also made in America. Very important. If you are tired of pet cleaners that don't work, it's time to buy Genesis 950. One gallon of industrial strength Genesis 950 makes up to seven gallons of cleaner. Genesis 950 is great for bathrooms, kitchens, floors, upholstery, and grease stains. Perfect holiday gift for pet owners. Genesis 950 has a great customer service, uh, always willing to help with your particular problem. So order one gallon direct at Genesis950.com to receive a free spray bottle, free shipping, and a $10 coupon. Use code Jenna. You have to use Use the code Jenna, that's J-E-N-N-A, and that's Genesis950.com. The coupon is only available for a one-gallon purchase. Genesis 950 is much, much cheaper than replacing your carpets. And welcome back to the Jenna Ellis Show. And I am still here at Amp Fest in Miami at the Trump Doral Hotel. And uh, there are so many great conservative leaders here. Um, just talked with Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. So much uh, great, great content. And um, I'm so excited now to uh, welcome my friend who I've known for a long time, but it's like you always go to these conferences and you actually meet people in person. So, so great to finally meet you in person, uh, Corey DeAngelis. And um, you are a champion for school choice. Everyone should follow you on social media. Um, so describe kind of, you know, how you got into this, um, what exactly you're doing and why school choice is such uh, a big part of what you're doing. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And I will just say the, the way that I would define school choice is allowing your children's education dollars to follow them to wherever they're getting an education. That could be the residentially assigned public school if that works best for you. But if not, for whatever reason, the money could follow the child to a charter school or a private school or a home-based option. Uh, and it's, that's essentially it. It's the concept of funding students, not systems. Uh, after all, education funding is meant for educating children, not for propping up and protecting a particular institution. It's the same kind of idea that we apply to so many other taxpayer-funded initiatives, including other levels of education. If you think about higher education, we have something called the Pell Grant or other types of scholarships, including uh, the GI Bill for veterans, where the money follows the decision of the student and that could be a public university or the community college if they want, but you could also take that funding uh, to a private religious or non-religious university. We do the same thing with pre-K programs, for example, even the federal Head Start program. You can take your children's pre-K dollars to a public or private religious or non-religious provider of pre-K services. And I'm just arguing we should apply the same logic when it comes to K-12 education. What's interesting to me is a lot of the same people who support funding students as opposed to institutions when it comes to other levels of education and other services too, like with groceries, we have food stamps where the money goes to the family and they can choose Walmart or Trader Joe's or Harris Teeter or Safeway. The funding follows the decision of the family. And a lot of the same people who support these programs that fund people as opposed to buildings, they only get all up in arms about having the funding follow the person when it comes to K-12 through education. 
And the only way that you can bridge that apparent logical inconsistency is to realize that there's a difference in power dynamics. That choice is the norm when it comes to higher education and pre-K and just about any other industry in the United States, including grocery services. But choice threatens an entrenched special interest only when it comes to K-12 education. And otherwise, they would profit from receiving children's education dollars, regardless of the satisfaction level of the family, regardless of the how well they meet the children's needs. And what we've seen over the past 18 months, regardless of whether they even opened their doors for business. And so I'm just arguing we should apply that same logic with all of these other programs to K-12 education. Fund people, not buildings. And that makes so much sense. And, you know, there's actually, uh, Corey, a case now that um, will be brought up to the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, I think oral arguments are set for either November or December on this case. That is a challenge to um, a main uh, state law that is providing tuition uh, to students but are actually rejecting a couple of families when they're using those tuition dollars for religious-based education. And so this is actually being lauded as one of the, um, the the most interesting and I think impactful religious liberty cases because um, the Supreme Court is saying, you know, this is all about the, the Establishment Clause, the Free Exercise Clause, and Equal Protection. I just think it's about common sense. I don't think it actually has anything to do with free exercise of religion. It has everything to do with parental rights and parental choice. What, how do you see this case? Yes, this is uh, set for December 8th for oral arguments, the uh, Carson case. Mm-hmm. Related the making case um, related to the Maine uh, scholarship program, and it's pretty obvious that it's it's going to go our way uh, because this program is just so obviously discriminating against religious schools and religious families by not allowing them to take their children's education dollars to a private religious school. The program allows them to take the money to a private, a public, or a private non-religious school, but they're explicitly discriminating on the basis of religious um, uh, status or use when it comes to this program. And we have Supreme Court precedent on our side as well. In 2002, there's a Zelman v. Simmons-Harris case that was about an Ohio voucher program that ruled that uh, such a program does not violate the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution because the money goes to families, and then they can choose public or private, religious or non-religious. It isn't a direct subsidy of a religious institution. And even if it was, there is some case law at the Supreme Court level suggesting that that's permissible in some cases as well. I'm thinking of the Trinity Lutheran Lutheran. Yes, exactly. I was as well. uh, For example. And in in Zelman v. Simmons-Harris, like I said, the, the families are the direct beneficiaries of these programs. It's the same reason why Pell Grants for higher education don't violate the Establishment Clause, because the Pell Grant funding goes to the college student, and then they can take it again, they have a choice in the matter, to a religious or non-religious institution. Uh, and and we, we can see why there's not an issue there, or even at the pre-K level as well. It, it is interesting, though, that the teachers' unions and other groups don't come out against Pell Grants and try to say that they violate the Establishment Clause. We don't have that issue. And again, because it's only a difference of power dynamics. They're fighting to protect their monopoly when it comes to K-12 education, and you don't see those battles when it comes to pre-K or higher education. And even more recently, we have a 2020 Supreme Court decision, the Espinoza v. Montana decision, which had to do with a Montana tax credit scholarship program that was nixed because it allowed families to take their children's education dollars to a private religious institution if that was the best fit for their kid. Uh, They got rid of that program because 
because of the fact that families could take it to religious institutions. The U.S. It went all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court, which which ruled that this program. Uh, the, the, getting rid of the program violated the family's First Amendment right to a, a free to freely exercise their their education for their for their family and their kids, and so because we had that ruling right before this main ruling, I think this is going to go in our favor as well. The I think it was a circuit court in Maine ruled in the against the families and pretty much tried to make the argument that. Uh, that the Montana decision, the Espinosa v. Montana decision, was only a, uh, only had to do with religious status, and it, it, it ruled that these such these programs could not discriminate on the basis of the religious status of the schools, and it did not answer the question of whether it could dis- these programs could discriminate on the basis of religious use, uh, which is really just a distinction without a difference. Um, they're pretty much trying to say that you can discriminate against religious people or, or religious things, but you can't dis- but but it's but you can't so you can't do that, but you can discriminate against religious uh, institutions for doing religious things, which again is yeah. just hocus pocus. It's it's a it's a distinction without a difference. So this, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure this is going to go in. I, our way. I hope so, and I think and I love how you broke all of that down because um, I I view the main case uh, definitely the same way, and I think you're right that the lower court's opinion uh, just tried to parse this out in a way that would give them some kind of plausible pretense to uh, to vote against the parents and to hold against uh, the parents in this case. But you're right that um, that religious. Uh, the parents who choose a religious education can't be discriminated against or treated dissimilarly or um, or with any lesser uh, standard and with any lesser you know favor from the school district simply on the basis of choosing a religious education. If you have these free dollars, I mean, it's the same thing that Trinity Lutheran, like we just talked about, you know, basically the um, the city in that case was providing uh, funding in order to um, to pave. Um, Playgrounds, and so what the court, what the Supreme Court held in that case was that you know the scraped knee of a Catholic child versus the scraped knee of a secular educated child. There's no difference in that when it comes to of um, use by um, schools of these publicly funded dollars. And in my view, and I think the view of any rational person, regardless of whether you're religious or not, is that of course if the state is providing these tuition dollars, then parents can choose where they're going to spend them. In the same way, when you opened this, Corey, you said, um, you know, this is the same thing as getting a um, a, a credit for uh, for food, and you know, there's a lot of um, all of those types of vouchers that go to uh, to different individuals. And whether you choose to spend that at Safeway or Albertsons or wherever, <laughs> um, you can discriminate in where you shop. Now, people will push back on that and say, well, you know, it does limit the products that you're allowed to purchase. But the difference is, milk that comes from you know maybe a Jewish bakery is the same thing as milk that comes from Safeway. That's the difference. And I think for a lot of people, you know, we see that intuitively, and I think you're right that the Supreme Court ultimately is going to and should constitutionally uh, hold in favor of the parents here. Um, But in terms of school choice and, you know, what you're talking about, I mean, and this is such an important topic and why, by the way, you know, we're here at AmpFest and uh, Corey and I will be on a panel along with um, a couple of our good friends talking about school choice, talking about homeschooling in particular. Um, All of you know that uh, I was homeschooled K through 12, loved that my parents have 
um, have that option and um, have that legally uh, protected right to choose um, for themselves and for ultimately me uh, what was in our best interest in terms of education choices. And that's why the Homeschool Legal Defense Association, our good friend Mike Donnelly, who will be on the panel, uh, why they have advocated for so many years um, to make sure that homeschooling is a protected right of parents. Um, So as we're moving forward, I think, into more of the school choice arena, where do you see this argument headed and how can conservatives engage in this issue? Yeah, well, I mean, if you listen to the opponents of school choice, it's always about power and maintaining a monopoly in the realm of K-12 education. The teachers union's main argument is that school choice steals money from the public schools, to which I will respond that the money doesn't belong to the government schools in the first place. It belongs to the children and their families. The funding is meant for educating the child, not for protecting a government monopoly. And it would similarly be ridiculous for someone to try to make the claim that allowing families to choose their grocery store steals money from Safeway. That that doesn't make any sense because we all know that the money doesn't belong to Safeway. It doesn't belong to Walmart either. It's meant for the families, and so logically the money should follow the decision of those families. Yeah, Yeah. just like we do with everything else. Pell Grants don't steal money from community colleges just because they can be used at private religious universities, and no one would try to make that argument. So their main argument really tells you that they believe your children and the money meant for educating your children belong to their institutions, which they have completely completely backwards. Your kids don't belong to the government. They don't belong to the teachers unions. And families are finally figuring that out over the past year. There's been a surge in support for educational freedom. Families are fighting back at school boards and they're, they're pushing for school choice policies uh, more than ever. There's been a 10 percentage point jump in support for school choice, according to the latest Real Clear Opinion Research polling on this over the past uh, around a year and a half with about 74% of Americans now supporting the concept of school choice. And in 2021, we're deeming this the year of school choice, or if you're hit by, with the lingo by, by now, the year that we fund students, not systems. 19 states expanded or enacted programs to fund students as opposed to institutions. And this is just a, a wonderful year for educational freedom. And I think the best part about it is it's pretty much the teachers' union's own fault for overplaying their hand and showing their true colors and showing, showing that they care about their institutions more than they care about children. And some of the biggest jumps in support were among parents who previously had their kids in the public schools and among Democrats as well. Democrats are even figuring out that educational freedom is a great thing, and there's a lot of different reasons for why you might, might not uh, be happy with the, the school that you're in. And the one-size-fits-all government monopoly is not always going to work for, uh, for, for so many families. And I would argue that all the fights that we're seeing over the past year and a half, whether it comes to reopening schools in person versus remote, or uh, if you disagree with the curriculum in your public school, or if you disagree with the masking or other mitigation strategies in your public school, these are all just symptoms of the larger problem, which is the one-size-fits-all government school system. We shouldn't feel the need to force our views on other people's kids. And at the same time, though, we shouldn't be forced to send our kids to schools that aren't aligned with our values. So uh, the, the best solution going forward, in addition to fighting at school board meetings and, and uh, pressuring the school boards to do the right thing by your kids, is to also fight for exit options as well, to allow the money to follow the child to schools or education providers that 
best align with their families' values. And I think more people mm-hmm. are figuring figuring out this year. Yeah. And how do you think, um, Corey, in the last two minutes that we have here, um, how do you think that the pandemic has really influenced people's just uh, perception of school choice when um, one of, I think, the things the Democrats didn't anticipate uh, through all of this with uh, so many families for almost a year being forced to homeschool or to have other types of options for their children at home because of the pandemic shutdowns, um, a lot of people... I mean, there was a study, um, I think actually that you tweeted or sent to me that now one out of every eight families is homeschooling uh, by choice, Mm -hmm. which is fantastic. So how has this now become more of the uh, common perspective and actually changed a lot of people's views? Yeah, so many more people are formally homeschooling. According to the U.S. Census Bureau's American Pulse survey, over 11 percent of households are now Uh, educating at least one of their children at home, which amounts to a doubling or tripling of homeschooling relative to pre-pandemic levels. Uh, So people are voting with their feet, even with charter schools as well, which are kind of quasi-public, quasi-private type of educational entities, but they're more responsive to the needs of families in that they have to attract their customers. Uh, Families can vote with their feet away from charter schools and, and towards charter schools. And when given the option this past year, we've seen enrollment trends that are just mind-blowing. Over the past year, according to a National Alliance for Public Charter School report of from with data from about 42 or 43 different states, they found a 3% reduction in the number of students in government-run schools, but about a 7% increase in the amount of students that are enrolled in public charter schools. Uh, so parents really started to vote with their feet towards uh, charter school options, homeschooling, and parents are more uh, familiar with homeschooling, and I think they're going to continue that trend going forward because mm-hmm. they got a taste of homeschooling, and a lot of families liked that taste of homeschooling. Uh, there's actually uh, polling by Morning Consult and EdChoice, I believe, finding that ever since the pandemic started and schools closed around March of 2020, every single month parents reported that they now, they now feel uh, – more favorable towards homeschooling as opposed to less favorable towards homeschooling, which is which is great news. It's a silver lining. And look, the way that I would put it is that COVID didn't break the public school system. It was already broken. And the past year and a half has simply shined a spotlight on the main problem with K-12 education in America, which happens to be a massive long-existing power imbalance between the, the teachers' unions and individual families. And we're starting to figure out that there isn't any good reason to fund failing institutions when we can fund the students directly instead. And parents are fighting back now more than ever. And they're going to continue that because they're never going to forget how powerless they felt over the past 18 mm-hmm. months. Parents don't want to feel like that ever again. Even if they like their public schools, they don't want to be put in a position to where they're scrambling like they did over the past year and a half. Or they're having to, like, you know, Matt Walsh, uh, very prominently in Loudoun County, Virginia, is, you know, is fighting these ridiculous mask mandates for kids. And a lot of parents feel if their children um, are going to school that they're powerless against these overreaching, ridiculous, petty tyranny uh, school boards. And so for the parents who are listening, Corey, um, and for, you know, someone who maybe um, is a parent and they want some of these resources or just um, to be able to feel like they have support, where's the best place that they can go to get support for either homeschooling or school choice or just to stay engaged? 
You can follow me on Twitter. I share tons of resources. It's at DeAngelis Corey. But if you want to join the fight to fund students, not systems, it's pretty simple. Go to fundstudentsnotsystems.org, and we have resources there to help you push for policies that will truly empower families by making the money follow the child. Uh, and, and again, that's fundstudentsnotsystems.org. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Corey, for your time. And I'll have to have you on again. You are just a wealth of information on this. I follow you on social media. I always um, I share a lot of stuff that you know you send me because it is uh, really great resources. So thank you so much for all your work. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so one of the sponsors for The Jenna Ellis Show is my good friend, Mike Lindell. And by now, you've all heard me talk about MyPillow. And Mike now has done it again by introducing his new My Slippers so excited about these. Um, I have a pair of my slippers. They're kind of awesome. And he has taken over two years to develop these. They're designed to wear indoor or outdoor all day long. So this is important if you're like me and you have to like go to the package room, the mailbox, you can actually wear them outside, not just indoors and then have to put something more uncomfortable on to go outside. They're made with MyPillow foam and impact gel to prevent fatigue and made with quality leather suede. So for a limited time, He's offering 50% off his new My Slippers. So go to mypello.com, click on the radio listener square, and you can use the promo code Jenna, that's J E N N A, to get the new My Slippers at this deep discount. And on all My Pillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the My Pillow mattress topper, My Pillow towel sets, call 1 800 564 8475 or go to mypillow.com. Use the promo code Jenna. And of course, support Mike Lindell because he has been uh, absolutely canceled by a vicious, vicious leftist culture. And I'm so proud that Mike is a sponsor of the Jenna Ellis show because he is a very good friend and I'm very glad to support him as well. So use the promo code Jenna at mypillow.com or call 1 800 564 8475. I will see you tomorrow here on The Jenna Ellis Show.